Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is It's Called a Motor Race. That from Graham Roper on Twitter. Runner-up is It's Called a Safety Car Finish, Toto. Suggested by Callum. I'm your host, Richard Reddy. My friends call me Spanners. So let's be friends. Welcome to the Monza race review. Today we had a pretty straightforward kind of affair that could easily slip under the radar as a smooth and unremarkable ball of yarn. But there are some tantalising threads to pull on in another intriguing chapter of Formula One 2022. So coming up, we'll discuss would Ferrari doing better this season even have made a difference in the face of Red Bull dominance. We'll turn our attention to the battle for second place in the title. We'll ask, what do you want to see from races to bring out strategy and make those tactics of races come alive? And there's probably no need to discuss the safety car, is there? All those things that were supposed to happen, happened eventually. Do you know what, though? It might come up. And also, we'll discuss, if we have time, why chainsaws aren't allowed at Monza. I'm joined in the shed by Matt Two Rumpets. Hey, Matt. It's the paddle on the right, Lando. And we're joined by Brad Philpot. Looking forward to digging into this one, even if it's not my favourite track. And Christian Pedersen. Hey, Christian. Evening. I came for pigeons, but I got nothing. That's that's why that's why we have you on, Christian. I came for pigeons. Well, for those of you who came for race reviews, we can get fired into the Monza Grand Prix and we can discuss Bradley Philpott's lukewarm reaction to Monza. Not your favourite, but it is a classic European circuit. It's not, you know, it's not Monaco levels of dread. But you're right, whenever Monza comes around on the calendar, I do think, ah, oh, okay, it does kind of one thing well. It probably is exciting to drive and see the needle go up to a slightly higher number. 
But on, on telly, I mean, I was watching the Porsche Super Cup and I was, I was enjoying it. I thought, this would be brilliant if it wasn't Monza. Yeah, so you know me. I'm, uh, I'm someone who likes the variation of Formula One races. I, I don't hate Monaco as much as you do. <laughs> I like that we go to extremes of different tracks. And this is one of those extremes. This is obviously all about straight line speed. Um, what was it the commentators were saying all weekend at the Temple of Speed or something like that? It's just a very, very different and specific track. And I do like that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the races are always brilliant. Sometimes you have good ones. Um, and this race, I think probably because of the, the pace of, of the champion elect, um, it was always going to be potentially a little bit boring for the win. Um, but there were other interesting things that happened and interesting drives from the back. So there was something to, to enjoy and, and watch for during the race. Well, this is the thing. When I, I track the numbers a lot, uh, the statistics for Mr. Apex podcast, and traditionally by September, apart from last season, where it was so close between the two uh, protagonists, Verstappen and Hamilton, this is where it normally starts tailing off. So we, we sort of peak in the middle of the European season. Interest starts to wane over you know the the course of the season as say somebody becomes uh, dominant and and I think it's it's not abnormal for general interest to start to go away when someone's already kind of claimed that title it is very early though Matt for for someone to to really have all but won it it's, it's been a while since we've seen this level of like oh no that is in the bag early yeah and and let's be very clear Ferrari have aided in this outcome pretty significantly but this outcome is also looking like it was going to be an outcome. It was going to be a question of when rather than if. And, and this is, I mean, this is a question I'd put to you, Christian. If Ferrari had actually, you know, if we undid all those mistakes, I think we'd still have got to this point in the season and gone, I don't think there's anything, I don't think they'd have any answer still. I think if we look, uh, I know it's not popular to say this, but if we look back to last year, how intense the fight was um, and how everyone was on their toes and everyone had to be at their AAA plus game all the time to get it in the back. This year just shows that if you're not in your A game plus, then you're not going to win it, especially when uh, you're up against someone like Max Verstappen, because he's just, I mean, it's unbelievable. He's very, he's delivering. He's good at race cars, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is. Brad. So, Spanners, you say that you think it would probably be looking inevitable anyway. Yeah. But from what I was hearing over the weekend, certainly a couple of the Sky commentators mentioned that doing the calculations, doing your kind of League of Justice yes. that you've done in the past, Ferrari and Leclerc would be right on the tail, very close within a, you know a handful of points of mm. Verstappen if you account for strategy errors, reliability problems, and driver errors. However, that didn't even take into account the number of points that Verstappen wouldn't have scored yeah. had Ferrari stayed in those positions. So I'm not sure whether I agree. I think I think the Red Bull is obviously the stronger package. And I think in in the most ideal world for Leclerc, we'd be at this point in the year and it would start to look like the championship was slipping away because Verstappen yeah. is kind of unstoppable right now. But it could be way more there could be much more jeopardy yeah. for red bull having something go wrong than it currently is okay so in normal times and you remember we did a kind of deep dive on this with vettel we forgave the ferrari car all of vettel's mistakes and there was definitely one championship out of i think 2017 where you go well actually 
you know, the Ferrari car could have won that. Vettel probably lost it. So I, I don't mind, you know, forgiving some areas. But for that calculation, you have to say, OK, we'll forgive Ferrari the unreliability. We'll forgive them the strategy and we'll forgive them the driver errors. It's, it's like it's a bit too it's a bit too much. Even if we gave them two of those back, Brad, uh, there's an inevitability still. But the reason that I'm willing to to talk about it in those terms yeah. is Red Bull haven't done those things. I know they have had some unreliability at the very beginning of the year, but for most of the season, Red Bull have been strong in all of those areas. And, mm. and so, you know, save for a, a couple of inconsequential spins from Verstappen in races where he went on to win anyway, um, they they haven't fallen short in those areas where Ferrari have. Some suggest that uh, Paris is running bits on his car to support the way uh, Verstappen is driving. And if you look into uh, when when they stop and how long they get Paris to go on certain uh, tires and stuff like that, it, it could amount to a theory around having a team with one driver yeah. and the entire team around him. And I think you have to do that if you're in a situation like this. Uh, and that, I mean, I, I, I can't really be unhappy about it because... No. If you want to win, you want to win. Ferrari's not doing that. They are not. They're they, not at that level. There it's was just, loads um, of opportunities. It's turning into a bit of a season review, like it's already finished. But there was loads of opportunities for Ferrari to favour Leclerc over Sainz much earlier. And like I said, if I was a team boss, I would definitely do what Red Bull are doing. I would have a, a one-driver team. But yeah, so all that kind of you could forgive Ferrari some of those points. You would also, in that calculation, have to give Verstappen back his points. I still think this season, you know, we, you can't, you know, wish away some points and suddenly make it more competitive. Red Bull have got such a, a massive grasp on this title, Matt, which which was demonstrated today in a much more subtle way. Yeah, well, you begin to see Ferrari throwing everything against the wall and hoping for, starting to buy lottery tickets, looking for yeah. a race win. But I think Brad really had the right of it. The thing we know for sure is that over the course of this season, Red Bull appears to have the stronger package. They've chosen the better development course. They've chosen the better aerodynamic concept for the whole of the season relative to Ferrari. But we could be having a much more competitive finish yeah. if Ferrari had just maybe, gotten maybe, their maybe. act together. And just remember, Red Bull have got double the budget cap because they are only putting parts on one car. No, this is quite, true. No, it's not. It's not quite true. It's not quite true. And that is something that we can probably <laughs> discuss over the break. So I think we've got three weeks until the next race. But for this race, why don't we discuss where the race was won and lost? Well, you know me. And if there's anything I like to talk about, it's the track temperatures. And we have been on about the differences between Red Bull and Ferrari. Okay. okay. And when, when temperatures favor one team versus the other. And unfortunately for Ferrari, we saw a much hotter track today than we saw on either Friday or Saturday. That's interesting. So when Mercedes were, were battling Ferrari and last season, I think we used to say, well, as soon as it got hot, it didn't favor Mercedes because they went quite tight on the cooling so their margins were quite cool and we've seen them at races like hacking we think it was Singapore hacking bits out of the the engine covers to try and get more air in and they would struggle at Mexico for example as well where it was lower air pressure so what's the what's the favor what's the toss-up between Red Bull and Ferrari when it comes to temps well, for me, what it comes down to is the ability to preserve tires across a whole stent 
Yeah. And what I see from Ferrari as it gets hotter is they struggle more with their rear tires, which are more important to how they run their car with a lot of acceleration. They need those rear tires to hang on. Whereas Red Bull being, even though they're running more downforce here, being a higher speed, slightly less downforce, or more about keeping the fronts alive for Max so that he can continue to get the car turned well into a corner. And the hotter temperatures tend to help out the Red Bull, and especially here at Monza, because we didn't see their skinniest rear wing, which we could also talk about the flapping rear wing a little bit, if you like. Okay, why was the rear wing flapping? Well, because the DRS mechanism wasn't strong enough. But it's interesting, because the flapping was so much, it was going to break the mechanism, so they ran sort of their slightly more medium downforce. But that actually probably helped them out with their tire life a lot because it kept them from sliding so much in the middle sector. And why did they take a penalty, Matt? Why did Verstappen take a penalty? What did he change? Oh, was it um, was it the internal combustion oh, engine? Right. That I, he I, took I thought it was the internal combustion. It was a five-place five penalty. Yeah, so, he, that, so just the ICE on its own. And so that kind of set up the race. Oh, Verstappen's going to start off in seventh. But when he won from 35th, a couple of races back was it in spa yeah he started from like two races previous and then went and won seventh i don't think anyone was worried about that he seemed fairly relaxed uh, christian did anyone notice that matt started out by saying this is about temperatures but it was all about tires yeah he does that he's very yeah. sneaky very sneaky yeah. man answer I'm, for your crimes i understand uh, you now spanners <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry what was the question i was all up on this uh, just just the you know verstappen starting from p7 I don't think that phased anyone in Red Bull, and I think it didn't phase the bookies. And he was, when I looked on the grid, go, oh, he's seventh. But then he's surrounded by Gasly, by Albon, by uh, Pedro, Pedro de la Rosa, I think was back there as well. Pedro Diniz also. So you go, well, I think he can overtake all these people. I, I think uh, we, we we had a short chat on on WhatsApp before the show, and uh, Brad was not too happy about today's race. And we talked a bit about it. And I can totally understand that when you see Verstappen on was it lap two in position three? And it's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> it's it's just over already. But, I mean, maybe some are already focusing on next year. Maybe some are already thinking, yeah, after Spa, yeah, what may- to do. Maybe. But, Brad, we did have a competition here between Leclerc and, and Red Bull at in at least on paper and and so seeing that unfold you go okay well you know we're at we're at monza we're at the tafosi capital maybe this could be a fight maybe this could be game on on paper it did look like we had a, a race today yeah so for the first part of the race obviously leclerc's on pole so that's that's a good start verstappen is going to take some time even if he sides through the pack it's going to take some time to get to him and that's kind of what happened once he got past russell he was closing down leclerc but not super fast and and it wasn't a foregone conclusion what was going to happen from that point onwards. And then we obviously had the the VSC that Ferrari chose to take advantage of and pit Leclerc, which looked like at the time a, a pretty decent shout and, and something that might give that extra little bit of advantage yeah. to Leclerc that might just allow him to continue the fight, continue taking the fight to Verstappen. But this is what I always wonder, Matt. When, when they're not in the pit stop window like they're in the middle of a stint, is it a no-brainer to take that cheap stop? Well, if you feel like your opponent has race pace on you, then it's much more of a no-brainer than if you think you can win in a fair fight. 
So by taking that stop, they wanted to gain about 10 seconds on max, three for the undercut and seven for the savings over a regular pit stop. But unfortunately for them, it went wrong because the VSC came off before he'd fully exited the pit. So they didn't already gain as much as they'd calculated before uh, Leclerc was even on the pit lane. And actually, when the VSC was lifted, the cars that Leclerc was competing against, Russell and, and Verstappen, were exiting turn one. So they were at a point on the track where they would have been going slow anyway. So had they been coming down the start-finish straight um, in an area where ordinarily you'd be going much, much faster... Under VSC, they'd have been accelerating from a very low speed, but he can't, he didn't really get any of the... He got the small advantage of, of the initial entry to the pits. But as you say, the moment the VSC was lifted, it was kind of like, ah, maybe we shouldn't have taken this particular stop. Maybe it was too early. So if uh, Leclerc didn't pit under uh, uh, a virtual safety car, wouldn't have Verstappen have pitted? I'm fairly sure uh, they would have done the opposite of yeah. the Ferrari. So, and they would probably win either way. And we would all be like, why didn't they pay during the same? <laughs> so I think it's a little bit easy to, to be hard on Ferrari on this one. This one, they wouldn't have won this one no matter what they did. Yeah, it's, it's a bit horrible really, Matt, isn't it? Because there's so much to legitimately have criticized Ferrari over this season when it comes to strategy calls. Yet pretty much everything they did in this race, I went, yep, yeah, no, I'm on board with that. That's fine. And it just and it didn't matter. Yeah, well, apparently with a big boss around, we make fewer mistakes. I guess that's what works for Ferrari. Fear. Because, of course, the, the, yeah. the president of Italy was there. Johan Alcon was there. Um, and yeah, no, I think it was a good, aggressive call. They looked at the race pace. They figured on degradation they would be losing too much time to Max. But I will say, this is the first of many battles we were robbed of. I would have loved to have seen how hard it would have been for Max to have passed Leclerc because he didn't have the top speed that Leclerc did down the straights. Yeah. So he would have he it would have been like chucking it up the inside around the outside into the second chicane if he was lucky to get round him. I like your optimism. optimism. Yeah. I know that, that could have been a thing, but would Max have not easily had the speed? with DRS would it not have just been quite a straightforward because we saw we saw Hamilton able to drive past people at the end of the straight at certain times and I don't just mean with a tire advantage I mean at the end of the main straight against cars that were normally in clear air significantly quicker than the Mercedes would have been Uh, to be fair I don't know the DRS differential but I know that it was about six or seven kilometers an hour advantage Ferrari and who knows how they would have changed the energy deployment to cope with that they did, they did put on a, a bigger wing so the DRS for the for, for the Red Bulls would have been more significant yep. than for the other cars but I'm not sure it's all about the rear wing I think it's a bit about how they deploy the power from the Honda engine uh basically the the h power sometimes you i mean sometimes the speed that red bull goes by is so incredible uh, and it's uh, and he didn't do that the lap before and it's all down to mm. the deployments uh, in combination with the tires and drs and stuff like that yeah. that package together is just amazing so but at that time leclerc would have had matt would have had used or very long into a stint mediums and so are you saying that 
where Verstappen would have changed onto what onto his another a set of new mediums as well because he started on softs. So surely Leclerc's a sitting duck in that situation. The only chance Leclerc had was the eventual call they made, which was to go to softs and try and sprint and catch up. Yeah, I, I think if we're talking about Verstappen pitting instead of Leclerc oh, early on, under the VSC, yeah, yeah. the interesting thing here, and if we're going to give Ferrari a hard time, you could maybe give them this slight bit of a hard time because Perez had been on the hard tires for five laps already. And they could see that the hard tire was actually working fairly well. So I don't know what their own tire engineer people told them, but just looking at the Red Bull times on the hard tire, that might have been a choice that got him all the way to the end without needing another stop and still having decent tires left. So as the strategy that they actually went with played out, I don't know whether anyone else noticed, but Leclerc on his on his fresh tires, having left the pits, wasn't eating into the advantage that Verstappen had very quickly. And it really no. looked to me like he was taking certainly the beginning of that stint, his second stint, with a full race in mind. It looked like he was accepting that, okay, this is going to be a long stint, but I'm taking these tires to the end. And it was only when... Ferrari kind of started suggesting to him, I think it was plan C, which turned out to be a two-stop, that he then began to actually use those tyres. But Mm. some of the advantage, obviously, of of pitting first, getting an undercut, is that you eat into your competitor's advantage so that when they pit, you've got a really big gap. And had he been planning on two-stops, I feel like maybe he would have gone a little bit harder at the beginning of that stint and and made it a, a more difficult decision for Red Bull. But... As it happened, it yeah. was kind of like the gap stayed pretty much the same for quite a long time. It was only a very small gain each lap. So that's two stints where Leclerc left tyres on the table. Yeah. Well, that's a lot, Matt. I'm just saying. I'm, but, you know, th- we're, we're sort of doing the hopium thing of like, but maybe there's a chance that Leclerc could have taken it to Red Bull. But the kicker came when Leclerc went to go onto the softs. And was like, right, can he hunt him down? It's 17 seconds in 17 laps. He needs to take a second out of him a lap. And he just didn't. And I think Verstappen very quickly did the fastest lap of the race during that initial final quote-unquote chase. And you go, oh, but Red Bull have us on a, a string at the moment. They can do what they want. There's a lot in reserve. And they're doing a little bit of what Mercedes were doing in 2014, 2015, where they didn't want to rub it in their opposition's faces. I, I almost get this sense of coyness about how dominant they are this season. So I can see Verstappen wrapping it up in Singapore and them completely stopping any development, taking their foot off the gas a little bit and only winning by a bit. You know, like a prize fighter who's been told, stop knocking your opponent out in 30 seconds. People have bought tickets. Yeah, yeah. Although I will go with, um, I, I feel like because they were the soft tires, I think Leclerc was very gentling them in because they did have to last. And and I did see that gap dropping. And I don't know how long Verstappen on those tires would have gone or how much more he would have taken out a lap. But the ultimate math of that was he was not going to catch Verstappen. It might have been significantly closer than it was when the uh, thing that we'll talk about later happened. I was just going to say, actually, really, at that point, when it became clear he wasn't eating into that gap very quickly, his only real opportunity, and it was a genuine one, was that a safety car would come out and that Verstappen wouldn't have the chance to pit, neither of them would, and one of the two front cars would be on fresher, soft tyres that would fire up quicker after a restart. 
Um, and so that's that was kind of one thing left that, that nearly potentially yeah. happened. Well, that, that's a good good way to bring us onto the safety car, Matt, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. All right, I'll press a button and it makes it all fancy then, doesn't it? Look. Okay, so as Brad pointed out, the only chance was for a safety car to come out and somehow hobble Verstappen's chances. The safety car did come out but not quite in time to catch Verstappen and to back the pack up. The safety car, in fact, came out in front of George Russell and Verstappen went all the way round, had a, a big gap, pitted comfortably. Leclerc also had a chance to pit comfortably. I'm getting the sequence of events wrong here, Matt, but it was it was a little bit of a mess, actually. Who on the panel here thinks they had a good handle of, of what happened? Because it felt like it took forever for anything to happen, Matt. Well, the fundamental problem, is that where, where Ricardo pulled over was not very far at all from a gap where his car could have been maneuvered. So the reason that they did not call a safety car immediately is they, they, the marshals were simply going to push his car off the track. It was going to take maybe a lap, lap and a half, and we would have resumed racing. And this was a really great and brilliant plan until Ricardo's car would not go into neutral. And uh-huh. so they obviously spend some time fiddling with that because you know how you know how people like that are. No, we can fix it. No, push that button. No, do this. <laughs> yeah. And then eventually it was like, no, we're going to need the vehicle. And at that point, you do have to call uh, either a red flag or a full safety car because you're going to have a recovery vehicle on track. So just to fill in the details for some people who may not know, the way that marshals get the car into neutral is slightly different from how the drivers would normally do it ordinarily the cars won't change gear unless the engine's running Um, and even then it's quite difficult sometimes to get it to go down the gears when the car's stationary but what the marshals have is effectively an override button on the top of the cockpit so just in front of the little mini windscreen the drivers have there's normally a button when the car's off and the driver's out the marshals can still press this button it'll put it into neutral force it into neutral effectively Uh and then it can freewheel but that obviously wasn't working in this case is the override no. button in the shape of a big hammer? <laughs> Christian? I, th- I think it's a hole in, in, in the structure, and there's another hole, isn't there, for, uh, for um, uh, what's it called, the fire uh, thing? Yeah, there are accessible buttons for marshals, effectively, to, to yeah. press from the outside. And um, they're in the same place on all the cars, so they know where to find them. But, yeah, this time it obviously didn't work, and that mm. then caused an unexpected delay. Yeah, so a little bit unfair then of people saying, oh, it was indecision. But it it it's, it took a long time and Verstappen was able to get his pit stop in. And I have to say that my mind, and some people aren't going to like this, was transported all the way back to Abu Dhabi 2021. Now, f- for me, after that event uh, in Abu Dhabi, I was told that finishing under a safety car was, was rubbish. I was wrong to think... A- a race should finish under a safety car and then there was loads of discussion about well maybe it should finish under red flags and we can have these red flag two lap sprints and i said no that would become like race director crack they would be looking for any excuse to throw the red flag and then it would become kind of playground next goal wins type shenanigans i, I even went to the lengths of suggesting that we have safety car fuel in the tank so you have an extra five laps worth of fuel where if there's no safety car near the end, you need to have that by the end of the race. But if there is a safety car, you can just bimble around and the race can essentially be be paused and you get those safety car laps back. So I had fully accepted in my heart 
that even though I've watched F1 for 30 years and races have always finished under the safety car, I had accepted that it was now no longer acceptable for races to finish under the safety car. So when Ricardo pulled over and they did the safety car, you did the maths. You see, it hasn't picked up Verstappen. Verstappen's got to get all the way around. Now they've got to let everyone but Verstappen all the way around. And then they're going to have to let the lapped cars go. So I knew at that point, yeah, that they were going to have to do something to make the race finish under green. And I was waiting for either a red flag or for them to hurry through the finishing under green. But none of those things happened. So I have to say, when it did finish under a safety car, and it turns out that finishing under a safety car was always okay, I was a little bit miffed. And uh, there's going to be some punishment iTunes race reviews and a Reddit thread for me saying that. But I don't think I'm alone in feeling miffed about that. Let's go to Brad. Yeah, so I think the thing to really make clear at the beginning here is, I don't think any of us, and I don't think most of the people making noise on social media actually have a problem with the race finishing under safety car. No. As you've pointed out there, this is something which we've always just expected. I think it's just a reaction to the fact that very publicly, we were told at the end of last season that that couldn't happen because it would be bad for entertainment. And and the things that are different here are, are twofold, really. First of all, this wasn't the season finale. This wasn't the final race in a very exciting championship with all the eyes of the world watching and there was no kind of pressure to have a particularly exciting finish to what was just a kind of run-of-the-mill race. And the second thing is, and hopefully this is true, they've learned that they have to actually follow the rules. So it was admitted as a mistake last year. And as I think Hamilton and Toto pointed out in their interviews post-race today, that situation at the end of last year was the only time that's ever happened. And mm. this is kind of just a demonstration of, of how it should be. So although it stings a little bit because it's still quite um, it's quite recent, although I think it was Karun Chandok saying it's in the past, Crofty, move on or whatever during the <laughs> broadcast, it was less well under a year ago and it was a massive <laughs> thing that happened in yeah. the sport, especially for those of us who have been watching for yeah. decades. And so this was just really hopefully a reflection of the fact that we are now just following the rules as they're supposed to happen. And mm. it, it's just quite a contrast to what we saw at the end of last year. So okay. people so, are so, just so, pointing so, that out. So it's not controversial now. That is, and there's people here in the, and there's a Dutch person in our live chat saying, finishing under the safety car, it's fine for it to finish under the safety car. I have always set, thought that, and I agree with that, and I hope that's the way we have it going forward. But it, I mean, it kills any argument dead. Abu Dhabi should have just finished under the, the safety car. And I, I hope all of us, all of us now as a fan community can all come together and agree that. If we agree this one should have finished under the safety car, then et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Christian. I think we are seeing uh, both uh, Formula One management and Liberty and all those uh, very hooked on the idea and optimizing everything. And I think what we saw today is going to result in some meetings, in some talks about how we can refine the safety car at the end of the race. That is my uh, idea of what is going to happen from now on because it's it's a bit like a wet towel in the face when, when you watch a race like this and it builds up to something and it could eventually be a little bit exciting on the last five laps, maybe for maybe just third, and it's all ruined. And we can't have that in a sport like this where everything counts and you have to uh, censure the booze and stuff. I mean, I mean it's going to change, I'm yeah. pretty sure. The booze were most definitely censored. Matt, sorry, you've been very patient. Uh, yes, very unlike me to be patient. Um, I find 
Yeah. I find that this, in fact, is evidence that we have different race directors. And yeah. that that when they told us that some lessons had been learned, I think some lessons had been learned. I think Bonato I, has a fair argument that it was possible, not that it had to happen, but it would have been possible to have run the safety car. So we did get a last lap of racing in. I think, I think that's a fair argument. But when you plot enough data, eventually something emerges as an outlier. And I think in this case, you just have to admit that the finish of last season has got to be the outlier yeah. for everybody. So really, the best, most grown-up approach to it is, I was complaining about a thing last season, and that thing has been acknowledged to be wrong, and now this thing has happened, and it was done correctly. So what on earth am I complaining about? You're just bitter because it was against someone you know you felt injustice last time and this time you're feeling injustice again i have no defense for that brad that is exactly how i'm feeling yeah um i i think this would have been a tricky one to get restarted in time without rushing and cutting corners after it became clear that the the car was not going into neutral or whatever and i'd never advocate for the officials the safety officials cutting any corners like that and hurrying to get a thing back underway and circumventing rules, etc. So we've kind of we've kind of covered okay. that. And so uh, I, I don't think any of us probably think the result would have been any different. It's not a case that we think, oh, oh, maybe Matt. Okay, well then I, I'll speak for myself. I think had the race restarted, then I then Verstappen was going to win anyway. I think it's unlikely Leclerc would have managed to get through. Such was the pace of Verstappen. And I think it's mainly a case that it would have just been nice to see a racing finish, but also it 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 wouldn't have meant that we all feel so aggrieved about the fact that there's some kind of, you know, disconnect with last season, but we probably expressed the clerk just needed one lap, Brad. He just needed one lap. Christian. Well, Buxton uh, made a tweet just after the race, uh, suggesting something around if, if there is a a safety car within the last 10 laps, uh, everyone, it's a compulsory uh, red flag and, uh, and you can change tires or something like that. That could be a nice, thing written into the rules i think matt well it would have been an interesting race with uh, ferrari not having to worry about tires and having softs versus mediums on on verstappen's car but the thing that i feel most robbed of is one signs and russell because there is something that absolutely i think might have changed in a restart after a safety car and the other is we had this wonderful battle for the last points on track with uh, DeVries and Joe and Ocon all right there. And, and maybe even Gasly involved in that because they were all sort of in a Gasly train right there. And, and that could have significantly changed uh, where people finish. So, yeah, it might not have changed who won the race, mm. but it certainly would have been an exciting thing to see. All right, good. Let's talk about some more racy kind of things because you just mentioned a name there, which is a good, happy story from this week. Nick DeFries, Brad Philpot. How excited should we be about Nick DeFries in general and from that performance this week? So Nick DeVries is not one of those drivers that, that I'd put down as, I think it was Chris Stevens from our panel that, uh, that used the term generational talent. Yeah. He's not one of the drivers that's come into Formula 2 and, and immediately won the season. In fact, it took him a few years to win it. And when he eventually did, it was uh, with a, a relatively weak field compared to some of the fields we've seen recently. 
However, he does have pedigree. He's certainly not just uh, an also-ran. As I mentioned, he won Formula 2. He went and won Formula E. He was the first Formula E world champion um, with Mercedes. He's a multiple karting world champion. He's clearly a really, really good driver. And although he's not particularly young, I believe he's 27 now, mm-hmm. which is quite old to be making your debut, He some drivers some drivers do benefit from that bit of extra time. Some drivers are not necessarily just unbelievable out of the blocks from a super young age and do benefit from that extra experience. And I think he really demonstrated this weekend that he's a very, very solid driver. And if he's shown anything, it's that maybe the job Albon's been doing against Latifi isn't necessarily spectacular and super special. <laughs> well, well, yeah, we'll get to that. Let's concentrate on, on De Vries uh, for a second. That's not an easy thing to do, to just jump in and go. The, the most recent super sub we've had is Nico Hülkenberg, who had very recent, relevant experience in an F1 car. In fact, we'll go to Christian first. But if you look back to you know Paul DeResta and Jensen Button, people who've, who've jumped in with a bit of a gap haven't done so well. It's, it's a very tough ask what De Vries had to do. I just want to build a bit on something Brad said uh, uh, about aging. And uh, if you saw Kevin Magnussen when he returned this year, uh, he, he came back with the, the, like a light in his eyes. Uh, he wasn't expecting it. He mm. still has the talent. And then you can just get to work on a whole different level. And I think that goes for Nick DeFries this weekend as well. Imagine like it's Thursday, you have zero Formula One seats. And then two days later, you've had two. You have two points. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it's a success story. It's pretty good. Uh, sorry, sorry to go to Brad quickly. But how hard is it moving between disciplines? Do you find yourself, you know, you go from like a heavy karting weekend to, say, touring cars. You go, oh, it's a whole different set of muscles. I mean, it's not necessarily that difficult some drivers adapt better than others and de Vries had been driving this weekend in fp1 for aston True. martin yeah. so he, he'd at least got recent experience of the track and of the speed and that kind of thing but that doesn't mean to say it's remotely comparable to having been in the car all season and done the testing and raced formula one the previous season or whatever it's still a huge disadvantage to jump in not knowing off by heart what all the buttons are how that car responds in different situations and i think we saw in the race he ran into some experience issues in terms of having a bit of overload needing some help from the team and and maybe pressing the wrong button in qualifying we saw him lock the rears that was was a weird lock that was a weird lock. we don't see experienced drivers doing that no and he said it was because he he basically wound the bias backwards by mistake because he he was used to the aston martin steering wheel from fp1 so it's a massive ask to be honest and it's not a particularly easy track either. I know it's mainly straight. You know, there's a lot of very fast straights, but there's also a lot less downforce on the car than normal. And therefore it's easier to make mistakes and and go off and have a silly lockup. So I was personally really impressed with the job he did all weekend. Yeah, and you have to consider too that he went from a high downforce setup that he was running for Aston to the low downforce setup that he was running for Williams, not making his life any easier. But what I love about this is we had a double Dutch finish. We had two Dutch drivers in the points. And I don't know, maybe this is some homework for our listeners, winner if that has ever happened before. And I believe it might be 1960 since we saw someone practice in one car and race in another car. At least that's what Sean Kelly thought on Twitter. But the amazing thing to me about DeVries, the thing that I want to highlight, is that his second stint... Um, 
because I believe he, he came in uh, on the soft tire uh, around lap 18 or 19. He went on to the medium tire. And he was, he was not losing at, at, at lap 47 when we had the safety car. He was still holding off Joe, who was on the hard tire, which should have been better. Or, or, or he was, he just, his ability to manage the tire was very impressive to me. I'll just say that. Just a few uh, numbers on De Vries. His first lap in P3 was eight tenths slower than Latifi's fastest in that session. His first lap in the car. And in the race, when uh, uh, Sainz was overtaking De Vries for eighth, that was on lap nine. Latifi was 17th. Hmm. Yes, Latifi certainly doesn't know. He's not coming off well in any of these conversations. I don't know if I quite want to go there, you know, just yet, because I want to sort of speculate on on De Vries and what this race could mean for him. Because in F1, so often you just have these moments where a driver suddenly ascends and it, and it changes their destiny. I think it was Perez in Istanbul. Was it the race where he crashed with Max, ended up at the back and then went and won the race? You know, and he was out of a contract at that point, and that seemed to be the turning point. And that was Red Bull picking him up instead of him being in a 2023 Williams against Latifi. So, could this be his Perez Istanbul moment, Brad? You know, is this enough to turn teams' heads and make them go, All right, there's an Alpine seat going, there's a Haas seat going, there might be an Alpha Tauri seat. Going. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's, there's seats out there. Will teams be looking at that going, Oh, if you were a team boss who was looking for an eligible Formula One driver, until this weekend, De Vries might not have been on your list as someone that you'd consider because you didn't, you know, you didn't know for sure until he's raced in a Formula One race. He might be a, he might take two seasons to come on song. He might be very error prone. You just don't know. But after this weekend, I think everybody would probably be in the same mm. mindset that that is a driver that I would now take over Hulkenberg. I'd take them over you know most pay drivers i'd take them over uh, a doing for example or maybe hurt or hurt or something like that. or, or hurt the only yeah. thing i'd say there is if it, if we're talking about alpha tauri they're probably looking for a, a younger driver and de Vries's age would play against him then but if i was the williams team boss i would definitely be now strongly considering him in in place of latifi or um or, i don't know alban's going to be there isn't he so it can only be in place of uh, latifi matt matt Oh, Matt looks. Well, in, oh, go on. No, no, no. I, I, I think what I want to come up with is that the driver he reminds me of most. Sorry, I lost my thought and found it right when you were about to save me from myself, which I appreciate. Is Kamui Kobayashi? Remember, he got chucked in to oh, the right. Toyota. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was, he was, he was a middle of the packer and whatever F two he ran. They threw him in the Toyota, and the next thing you know, he's driving was it alonzo he drove mad with uh being difficult to pass i don't know but that one drive mm. got him a seat in formula one and he stayed there for a while and it may just be a thing some drivers only really come alive in this kind of an environment and that yos capito guy who's uh who's leading williams currently it, the radio for the race uh after the race was pretty significant, I think, in regards to what Brad just talked about. And also, Jos Capito is um, 
how do you say, he's a driver's man. He he knows what it's all about and he likes good drivers and he sort of uh, inherited uh, the, the TV story money. So it looks like a marriage, doesn't it? And if anyone caught his interview on the grid before the race, I was really impressed with how Capito came across in, in the way he described what he'd said to De Vries. It was a real example of how to put your driver at ease uh, in their first ever race. Yeah. You know, in a position starting eighth, it could have been extreme pressure and so much can go wrong at turn one at Monza when you're not clear out front or, or clear off the back. You know, things out of your hands. And he, what he said to him was basically, don't worry. What happens to you at turn one, what happens to you on the first lap will not define your career and just go and have fun and go for it. And, and that's, that's such a good thing for the driver to have in the back of their mind going into their first race. And uh, and like you're saying, Josh Capito has kind of inherited the Latifi situation. I think F1 as a whole would want to move away from paid drivers. Now, in the paid driver situation we've got, Lance Stroll is, is sort of less of a problem, because, problem, you know, if you're talking about paid drivers, because he's got so much experience now. And he has kind of worked himself to that level where he sort of fits in in a general. He's not the best driver on the track. But he sort yeah, he's of, not the he's, worst. Yeah, exactly. He's, he sort of fits, Brad. But other than that, I can see all the other pay drivers disappearing. I mean, we're going to see next year when Alonso's there. Providing Alonso doesn't lose all of his pace over the winter, I think we can safely say Alonso is performing well. Yeah. Um, even if he's not performing as the very fastest driver in Formula 1 anymore, he's still extremely good. So let's see how far off Vettel's been the last couple of years. Maybe Stroll will look like Latifi's been looking this year. Who knows? Yeah. But if we put Stroll aside... It really is Latifi. He's the only one remaining from this kind of pay driver era. Now teams are franchises and nobody should be really making a loss. There's no need unless you just want extra money and don't care about competitiveness. Teams should now not ever be losing money. The teams are valued to a point where even if you come last, you're going to have enough money to run the team the next year. So they should be looking to the best drivers available, which is how it always should have been. But obviously it's only very recently that that's been a possibility. I know that we are all looking at this and saying the end of the pay driver, everyone has to earn their points, but I'm sitting here and looking at the table. Williams is on six points right now. If you replace Latifi with DeVries, let's just say doing the exact same job, how many points are they on? Let's double it. 12. That's still less than half of what Aston has. So I would like to see the end of pay drivers, but I understand the financial imperatives that sometimes see them in cars like this uh, brad quickly i take that point and essentially what matt's saying is the, the extra money from finishing one place higher in the championship might not be um as much as latifi's bringing or even from finishing in the same position in the championship yeah but if you want to be taken seriously as a competitive formula one team moving forward and Agreed. want to attract sponsors which maybe will pay more than latifi is paying then even if for the first season or two you don't score enough extra points with your better drivers. It shows a mindset and it shows a direction that's a lot more conducive to picking up those bigger sponsors and ultimately becoming a better team. Plus, it's very important for the team to feel they have drivers who can actually bring the car next level. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, some teams and drivers had to work their way up from the back, Matt. Let's just have a little chat about the Mercedes drivers, and let's start... Actually, we'll start with Hamilton working his way from from the back. That car didn't look half bad, not on the level of the front runners, but I expected him to just be stuck the entire race and not be able to get past. Um, But they seemed to, to race well, they were driving well, and they were able to pass cars, and they made the strategy work as well. Yeah, well, uh, they sort of went on a modified uh, Ferrari signs strategy, which is um, I, I, I do want to talk about signs. But <laughs> he went from the the medium on the start, which didn't really work particularly well for him. He was like, ah, the first stint, ah, I survived it. Yeah. But once he got on that soft tire, he made very, very good progress. And then he was aided massively, not only by the racing gods putting Perez out of the race twice, basically. Although Perez was on fire, but that was only coming out of the pit lane. Sorry, had to be done. Um, and then get catching. He caught a safety car that actually didn't cause him trouble. It actually helped him <laughs> maybe a tiny bit. And yeah. I, so progress there. The, the gods are favoring him slightly now, he's saying. It, or at least not disadvantaging him massively. Actively. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so it was a good finish for Mercedes. And it was a great drive from Hamilton, um, especially because his first stint was sort of mad mm. compared to, say, Perez or Sainz. Christian. I was on Hamilton's on board for the start of the Grand Prix, ah. and uh, I was on Science as well, and a couple of others uh, focusing on them. And uh, Hamilton had big difficulties getting his tires on, and he actually talked about it after the race that the balance of uh, his car was just totally off until suddenly, I think it was around like lap ten or something, the 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 tires just switched on. And he, his race car started working, and then he started overtaking. And as uh, uh, Matt just said, when he switched tires, it just kept working. But he was too far back at that point. But uh, Hamilton had a bad start, but a good race from uh, after that. Yeah, and he's been having good races, but maybe generally kind of been not quite so good in qualifying this season. Um, have has had you know two back of the start, back of the grid starts. Um, got bogged down with the porpoisey, experimenty stuff. And so, look, this is going to come across as, oh, Hamilton fanboy. But Brad, I still feel that he's had the, the stronger race pace and been the better race driver than George Russell, which is hardly surprising, given that it's his first season at Mercedes. Uh, but, but Russell's just phenomenal 
workmanlike attitude to the races and and sharp brain. Like he's, I, I think he's punched above his weight this season. I think it would be really easy just to look at the the results as they stand and the points gap between those two Mercedes drivers and and make the assessment that Russell's just been better over the season. Um, and Russell's done an amazing job. I think there have been times where Russell has been stronger, but I agree with you over the course of the season, particularly the kind of second half of the season, Hamilton's results don't really reflect where he should have finished. He's had, he's had some big points taken away by things which have nothing to do with him, yeah. really. Um, Zandvoort obviously was a massive point swing when he'd been ahead the whole weekend. And obviously uh, um, at Spa is his oh, own, his own doing, that he yeah. crashed with yeah. Alonso. But again, up until that point, he was looking like the one that was going to score the bigger points. So I think right now they should be pretty close with Hamilton slightly ahead. Both of them were actually off the track at the first corner today, though. So yeah. it could have gone very badly for both of them. They, yeah. they both had to cut turn one. I didn't see exactly why Hamilton did. Russell was forced off by yeah. Leclerc in an entirely legitimate move by this year's rules. Um, but yeah, they could have both found themselves facing the wrong way. Well, let's hear from Christian and then we'll go back to that incident because it's interesting. Christian. Don't forget that Hamilton gained 14 positions today, the same as Carlos Sainz. Now the Ferrari um, uh, turned on the tyres immediately and just took off. But actually Hamilton did the same as the Ferrari with a car not as fast as the Ferrari. So I think it's he overachieved today, actually. Uh, and he did the best he could with that uh, what he, he was given and a doubled overtake into turn two on Rick, on Norris. It was on Norris, Schumacher, yeah. It was, um, and Gasly. Gasly it was Gasly, it was. yeah. No, that was that was pretty good, but he did also have a massive tyre advantage going in there and, and Norris just got boxed in horribly. That's a sickening feeling, isn't it, Brad? When you're when you're boxed in, there's nowhere to go and then you see like a whole... It's like being on the motorway to the Dartford Tunnel or something and the left-hand lane. Oh, I knew I should have been in the left-hand lane. Yeah, there wasn't really a whole lot either of them could have done about that because I believe, uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but Norris was also on fresh soft tyres, but ah, he'd just come out of the pit. Yes, so the cold. So Norris yeah. had cold tyres, um, Gasly had more worn tyres, and Hamilton just arrived there at exactly the right point with, with the ability to kind of assess the situation from behind them, watch them sort it out themselves and disadvantage themselves, <laughs> and then just take the high ground and drive straight past. So, that was that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unusual to see two in one. Okay, well, look, let's talk about that incident, Brad, um, because it was Leclerc on on Russell. Russell tries to hang it around the outside. Leclerc goes fully so that he's got wheels over the line, literally no room at all. Um, And this demonstrates, once again, why we shouldn't have chicanes in any form of racing. Uh, Russell has to then, like, leap over a big curb, which I don't know who designed that, or has to go you know, shimmying through a slalom of foam blocks, which Vettel spectacularly just destroyed a a couple of years back. That incident is, like you said, shockingly, completely legitimised what Leclerc did. Yeah, I mean, this is we've spoken about this in the past, but up until this season, I would have expected a car that has any significant overlap to be given at least a car on the on the exit and so turn one obviously it's a very short corner it's very narrow and tight but russell had a good chunk of his car next to leclerc as they both turned through that corner and leclerc drove straight to the edge russell was forced to to drive over the inside now i i'm used to cars not being able to get away without just ramming into the side of the car that does that to them but it it seems that is actually possible to get through there without keeping your foot in and driving into the side of them but but that that anyway that's basically a completely <laughs> legitimate what leclerc did now this year is entirely legitimate um what hamilton did there to verstappen last year in my eyes was probably not that legitimate yeah at the time i thought yes. the rules were you always had to leave room yeah 
Um, but now it's obviously codified in the regulations that unless that outside car has more of an overlap, i.e. their level or slightly ahead, they're not, they don't have to be afforded any room. So what Leclerc yeah. did was entirely correct as per this year's rules. And in fact, I was quite surprised later on when Verstappen overtook Russell that Russell didn't just take the high ground, which is now the inside, and just effectively go very deep into the yeah. corner and do exactly the same to Verstappen. He was probably just using his head and, and knowing that just it was inevitable. Yeah. But if that was a, a serious fight for position, say on the last lap, the correct thing to do now, really, the sensible thing is always be on the inside and always make sure whatever you need to do to go deeper in than your, com- than your competitor is what you do. Um, we'll go to Matt, but I just need to argue with Pete in our live chat room who says, Ascari chicane is awesome. That's not really a chicane. That's just a, some interlinked corners. It's wonderful, Ascari. No, I'm not saying get rid of Ascari, but things like every chicane at Imola, obviously get rid of all of those, Matt. Okay, fair enough. I actually went back and watched the onboards of this. And to play a little bit against my type of being very non-tinfoil hat, I noticed that Russell actually locked up like his wheel breaking into that chicane. And what occurred to me was that into that chicane, if you were following someone into the first turn at the race start, you're at a real disadvantage if you just sit behind the person ahead of you. Right. Mm-hmm. So you overlap, but you can't pass that way. And you've left your inside vulnerable to somebody coming up and now slowing you down. And so I think, Russell, this was just a dodge for him to be able to cut that chicane, <laughs> maintain his position. That's not bad. And not lose out. I think this is entirely valid. And I will stand by that. That's not actually like a bad shout, like gaming it. And I think I think that, that Russell does have the kind of driving brain where he will look for those things. Like him, Alonso, there's a few drivers like that always looking for that for that little, you know, Vettel maybe in that category as well. But what not alarms me, what I don't like about this, Brad, is that Leclerc obviously now knows the rules. So to be, you know, you need to be ahead by the time you get to the apex, wherever that's judged to be. So you really don't make any... Don't make any attempt to get through it the fastest way. You are just breaking to make sure, late enough to make sure that you're ahead by that point and then you can just drive to the edge and then you can just take your sweet time. And to me, that just feels like a block. I don't love it, but that's how it is. I've gone over it before, but the reason this is frustrating is, and not necessarily this particular corner, because it's so tight, Mm. it's quite hard to actually get around that corner if you end up on the outside for turn two. But what it means is it promotes, we've said this before, one corner battles. So if yeah. those cars were, if they were regulated in a way that meant they had to leave room for the car on the outside, if Leclerc couldn't have forced Russell off, say, um, that we would have had a side-by-side fight. And, and in other corners, other tracks, it's probably more relevant, but it means that we actually get to see a battle. And, and battles are what people like, overtaking, but not just a drive past a one-corner overtake yeah. or a one-straight overtake, the ability to go side-by-side and, and maintain that fight for multiple corners. Like, and that's like, what yeah. these rules kind of prevent. Kill, but... Like, look at Hamilton Perez in, was it Portugal or, or, or um, Mugello, I think it was, where they were just, you know, side by side for most of the lap. Now, one of them could have just, you know, done a block pass and, and run the other one off wide, and it would have been completely legitimate. And now, I'm, I'm not a fan of this, but at least when we were watching that, we knew, no, that's fine. That, yes. As the rules say, that's clear. fine. Yeah, at least it's clear. Uh, Matt... You want to talk about signs? Yes, everywhere there's signs. Did he signs. do good? Do you, I know you like it when signs does good. Did he do good, Matt? 
I think he did. I, I, I watched his progress through the field, and the thought that occurs to me is that they might have accidentally given a potential race-winning car to Carlos. Oops. And not to Charles, <laughs> because he, he did seem to have an awful lot of pace. He made up huge places. He P18 to P7 in 11 laps, P4 by lap 15, and only 20 seconds off the lead. But what I most like about Carlos is the thing that I always like about Carlos is that he started to get into the window for pit stops around the time that Verstappen was going to come in. And he said, you know what? I, I think, I think I'd like to, um, I think I'd like to go longer and get onto those soft tires because those soft tires are looking awfully good for that, for that second stint. And so, so they did that, and and he was he was making time on Russell, uh, and I know it's always an argument: would he have caught Russell without the safety car? And what I can tell you is that from the time he went on to the soft tire, he was about twenty two seconds back. And when the safety car came out, he was nine seconds back. So I think I think there might have been a podium in it had the race continued without interruption from the safety car. But uh, to me, it, it, were it not for DeVries just being astonishing as a noob, mm. then to me, Signs had really a wonderful drive today. It, it wasn't the sexy option at the time either, because it did kind of mean halting his charge, if you like. So if you go, right, if we're going to go get into the softs window, we, re- we have to really avoid the cliff. Now, is that even a thing anymore? Like, do, do we get tyres that will just drop off a cliff? Because that's what we used to have in the... Well, I say the olden days, maybe even like five, six, seven years ago, if you push that tire too long, you would suddenly get to the point where, wow, you're losing like two, three laps a second. Do these tires even do that anymore, Christian? Did you notice? I I, I put up my finger and it was a tire question. So yeah, no. Matt is sitting there, oh, uh, what's <laughs> okay, going on? Okay. Part, I think part of me was like, tires... this will be funny if I now instantly go to Christian. <laughs> I think actually this year's tires, and Matt can probably testify to this, this year's tires are built to not do that. Not ah, right, specifically. specifically. Right, okay. Matt, I didn't realize that. It's more of a gentle downgrade. Right. You will reach a point with enough tread gone, and they, they will go off, and you will lose bigger and bigger chunks of time. But it's not that, oh, I'm on the pace. Oh, I'm three seconds slower that we used to have. I kind of – I miss the cliff because that, that, that meant, Brad, that you know, there, was, there was always like a hope, like, oh, maybe, maybe he goes off the cliff. I think it's a case that before you reach that real cliff – you're already losing so much time that people have changed the tyres yeah. by then. So it's kind of, as Matt said, it's more of a gradual drop-off and we just don't ever see people go far enough to reach the actual cliff. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, fair enough. So there you go, tyres, Matt. Tyres, Carlos Sainz. You're, you're completely satisfied, I assume. Yeah, I am. And again, we're going to play my favourite game of Ferrari strategy, hindsight. <laughs> okay, what could they have done? The thing they might have done, and again, this is not a thing that... I don't want I don't want to ding him for it, but as a possibility, they might not have brought him in at the safety car. They might have kept him out on those used soft and and seen him go up against Russell on the on the new softs. And had they kept him out as things transpired, looking at the gaps, I think he might have finished on the podium. Uh, Signs just needed one lap, Matt. He just needs one lap. That's all he needed. Why, why didn't race control listen to him? Uh, do we go to Merkel-Laren? Looks a little better. A little tiny bit better, Matt. A little better. Yeah, they did. They actually looked really good. They looked really good up until the point uh, poor old Ricardo's engine went pop. 
Oh yeah, no, I forgot that he was the reason. <laughs> he was the reason for all of that, Christian. I also want to note that radio for uh, Ricciardo. Oh my God! Yes, it, I, I, I cannot fancy what what is going on. So, so <laughs> I, I, I think this very much testifies to how uh, Ricciardo has been dealt with at mm. McLaren. So, for anyone who missed it, M- uh, McLaren radioed it in, basically saying, "Could you hold up Gasly so that so for that one tenth? Could you hold up Gasly one tenth so that it's... Norris has a pit window?" Can you I imagine? Like that, that might have been one tenth per lap. Uh, you know, okay. I think I think that's what I don't think it was necessarily just. I don't think they calculated it quite to that degree that it was just. But you just needed a single tenth. Brad, could you hold up someone for one tenth? Yeah, I mean the answer is clearly yes. He could definitely have done that. All that requires is a one tenth plus. Then not exactly one tenth. <laughs> all it would have required is a, a slight hesitation on the throttle coming out of turn one, for example. You know, out of any of yeah. the chicanes, and he could have easily done that, but. The problem is, and you could feel it in the the way the message was delivered. What what kind of bargaining power do they really have against no, Ricardo no. at the moment? It's it's not a case of your you know we'll look upon you more favorably next season or when things go your way we'll help you out because first of all they're not likely to go his way because he's just too far off all the time. There's no Ricardo there next season. If you were Ricardo, unless you just wanted to be trodden on, walked all over, and and you just didn't care and you'd kind of lost too much of your self-respect or whatever, you it's would going, probably just ignore no. that radio message. Or maybe maybe he's a nice enough guy that, that he's going to do it anyway because he's being paid to do a job and that's what the team have asked him to do. I'm not sure. And I don't actually know what happened in the end, whether or not he did do that. But this was the first time in ages he's looked like he was roughly on par with Norris and the race just still transpired to mm. have Norris a bit quicker, get him ahead, and then Ricardo's engine went anyway. Mm. Yeah, so the interesting thing to me was Ricardo's strategy off the medium tires on lap 19 when we saw most of the other medium runners going to lap 25 plus. So that, I think, made his life a little more difficult and ultimately let uh, Norris overcut him because Norris, I think, went all the way to lap 35 and then put on a pair of softs. And for me, this is just... Yeah, well, I think we we can adopt the we have a lead driver and we're always going to put that lead driver in the lead strategy. Norris lost out at the start. Ricardo did an able job and he certainly was closer. And this is actually a question I kind of wanted to ask Brad. What is it do you think about this circuit that gives Ricardo a better shot in this particular car compared to some of the other circuits where we have seen like these huge performance differences? I mean, there's got to be something about it. Yeah, I think it's probably reasonably straightforward. I think it's the fact that this track is, the braking zones are predominantly heavy, straight line braking zones. And there's very little overlap of the braking and the steering into the corners. You're not doing a whole lot of trail braking. There's not kind of big sweeping fast entries. You just nail the brakes hard in a straight line. And then pretty much as you start to apply the steering lock, the brakes are coming straight Which off. is a skill that we're not saying like that's an easy thing to do. Some people are better at getting the speed off quickly without locking. Yeah, it's just other tracks will assess more, a more kind of rounded set of your driving abilities. And he's obviously not able to gel with, with the McLarens he's been driving last year and this year in a way that he can do that naturally, um, in, you know, get the best out of himself. And so this is as it was for him last year, the track where he looks like he comes alive a bit more because it's it's a more simple, 
it's not assessing this track isn't assessing as much of his driving ability in these cars you the braking phase is a, just a bit more straightforward you're not having to feel the front end mm. as much so uh the our live slack chat room is just kicking ricardo while he's down and i guess here saying <laughs> that well norris anti-stalled at the beginning as uh part of the reason why they were a bit closer together and perhaps suggesting that it's just a less technical track and that's I think kind of what you're saying Brad but suggesting that he would just get on and do that and hold up Gasly for Norris even though he's on his way out because he's his, that's his job and he's a nice guy and he's a man of honour that makes him a significantly better human than me I've served out a few notice periods and I am definitely on that side of the quiet quitter where I am phoning it in and doing the minimum if I had been, I think, treated like Ricardo has been, how I suspect we'll find out in the future he's been treated at McLaren, I don't think I would have been holding up Gasly there. But then he's got the rest of his career to think about. We don't know if he's still on the brink with, say, Alpine uh, or other teams who he's talking through negotiations with, and he does want to come across as a good guy. He doesn't want to go full Alonso. You, you never go full Alonso, Christian. I'm just going to quote uh, Pierre Gasly after the race. He said, I'm definitely going to have some nightmares about Daniel's rearwing <laughs> over the next couple of days because I spent don't know how many laps behind him. I tried everything, but he didn't do one single mistake. Just to big up the guy just a tiny bit. Good. Yeah. Trying to, oh, do you reckon they're friends? And he's like kind of trying to help no, his I'm reputation. I'm just saying someone, someone saying he didn't make a mistake the oh, entire right. race. Yes. Yeah. Oh, look, I don't think anyone's saying Ricardo was a bad driver, but if there was an interview with uh, Villeneuve, with Jack Villeneuve, and he was going, look, Ricardo hasn't done anything for like four or five seasons. He's a very popular guy, but his stock, you know, it's looking pretty low. And if he does end up taking a reserve driver role at Mercedes, what's to say, what's to say he's ever going to, you know, come back and, and be on pace? And, and how employable is that driver who takes on a reserve role? I think F1 is very much about you know, your market price and your stock price, if you like. And Ricardo's stock price, unfortunately, is, is plummeting, Christian. And I, I don't think a, a little compliment from Gazi is going to probably change that too much. As earlier today on, on the pre-post-race show, uh, Walt Buxton was doing an interview with Dan Ricardo, and he said, actually, if next year, if you're going to be the Mercedes reserve, reserve, reverse driver, reserve driver, you're going to do this show with me. <laughs> and the look on Dan oh. Ricardo's face was just... Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's um yeah that's non fantastic. Finally before we go to the podium I've got to touch on this because Saturday was weird it, and even before qualifying I was saying to you guys is there any need to tune into qualifying at all because we we know that the grid is basically going to be you know a certain way with lots of drivers at the back and the the maths your math skills were going to be important for watching qualifying and it was completely compounded Matt by the fact that no one knew what the grid was going to be even hours even I think don't I don't think we had the full grid before going to bed on Saturday night and you go well that's is pointless watching it then I don't see the point in tuning in on a Saturday they want eyeballs on the screen but if it's going to be like that again I don't see the point in tuning in I don't see the point in using up spousal credits at home and saying no I can't go to the shops I've got to watch qualifying for that for what I saw there. You know, I could recreate that effect by just turning off every qualifying at the beginning of Q3 so that I don't know the result and I don't know what the grid's going to be on a Sunday. I think that kind of tipped over the line. Obviously, there's some organisational issues there, but it's mostly to do with how the engine penalties are, are dished out. 
Well, to be fair, they did figure it out before the race started, so I think credit where credit is due. They eventually did it. They eventually did it. Um, what I really like is that there were several people who, despite their best efforts, could not correctly figure exactly. it out. And if, I'm talking expert type people. If people like Sam, Col- yeah, if people like Sam Collins and Chris Medland can't figure out the grid with all that experience, that shows yeah. there is no system. How did they figure out the grid? Everyone had Verstappen P4, I think everyone, and then it suddenly spits out P7, and you go, well, where did that come from? Yeah, they drew them out of a hat. No, I believe there is a system. I believe the system uh, in applying this many penalties at the same time is just very, very complex. And to get it right, you just have to have done it a lot and to take your time and be very, very careful with it, I suppose. I don't know. It's like those complicated calculus problems that take 10 pages of working out and you get one answer in a whole exam. But I think you are right about the engine penalties. They need, they, they need to be rethought because the whole point of them was to keep exactly this from happening. And instead, it's simply become another gamification for people. Where do I take my engines? Yeah. How do I, how do I basically ignore the rules that I'm supposed to only have this many for an entire season? It's basically like a joker race that they have to take. And go, right, yeah. okay, which race am I going to start at the back at? Oh, I'll do Spa, I'll do Monza, because you can overtake there. It's just become a tactical element. Bingo. And the reason why we we have some of these rules is because people will just put in a new engine, and if you don't put in a new engine, the old one will blow up. But that is a, a way of thinking from the past. These new engines just don't blow up the same ratio as the old engines. So if we could press people to use their engines a bit more, I know they will be slower and that will be a penalty, but that is just the name of the game, isn't it? Uh, I'm pretty sure the fear is not uh, it's not them blowing up, oh, but right. it's the speed. It's, it's the speed. So what you're saying is you have to demonstrate that it's going to fail or, or, you know, you can't just go, yeah, wow, it's I down mean, you a have bit. To use your, you have to use your engine up before you can get a new one, for instance. So I, I have a couple of points on this. First of all, the reason that we have this is because Formula One is supposed to be, first of all, supposed to be trying to save money for the teams because historically the teams have been, um, you know, very short of cash or certainly some teams have, and you, they couldn't just afford to have, you know, infinite engines. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is obviously Formula One is trying to portray the greenest possible um image to the world. And so having as many engines as you want doesn't look particularly, the optics aren't, aren't great. So if those are if those are the reasons that you have these rules, then you need to have incentives for teamed or engine manufacturers to produce engines that are more on the side of reliable, even if that means sacrificing performance. And the rules as they stand clearly don't make them do that. They clearly know that the penalty for putting in a fresh engine, even though you're not allowed, the penalty for that is worth using up the engines that you've got and so the rules clearly they're not working for the purpose that they're designed for so as an alternative if that's what we still want to do if we still want to have this number as the maximum number of components it's not just internal combustion Mm. engine all all the different components that that are included in these penalties then we need a more draconian penalty for using those engines so a, a suggestion from me and this has its own flaws but just Something I would rather do than the current system is qualify as normal, but you have a certain number of seconds added to each pit stop based on the component that you've had to change. 
So you couldn't just do what teams currently do, which is, oh, we've got a 15-place penalty, so we'll just take a 20-place penalty or 19-place penalty and change everything, Mm -hmm. and we've got a maximum possible penalty. I'd say that if you're going to change all those components, you end up with uh, an incrementally larger and larger and larger stop-go to the point where you've effectively thrown away the whole race by doing it. You can't just start at the back and come through. If you're going to do that and, and take all the new components then you need to think very seriously about it because that could be 15 seconds, another yeah. 20 seconds for the ICE, et cetera, et cetera. And you may well even be damaging those new components by sitting in the pits for that long. Or you could go, or if, if you have to go 35 uh, positions back, you would have to pull all 35 positions. So you have to do it through three Grand Prix or something like that. Or for every component that you take, you lose some kind of paddock privileges for your executives. So you get either uh, your CEO can't have food on the Sunday during the race. No champagne for your sponsor's ch- chief executive. Have to fly coach. Oh my good. Oh my gosh. Yes, that would be yeah. If you take an extra engine, you've got to go on Ryanair. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> all you have to, all the headsets they use have to grow in in size for each engine. So at the end of the year, <laughs> I think essentially though the point I'm trying to make is that the the purpose of having these penalties clearly isn't working. It isn't working because the teams yeah. are happy to take them yeah. and they're happy to have a joker race because they know everyone else is going to probably do it anyway and the qualifying doesn't matter that much anyway at the moment. You know, you can overtake in Formula One nowadays, so the penalties need to change or we need to allow more engines. We need to maybe be a bit more public about saying, as I'm sure you've said multiple yes. times, Spanners, that the economy isn't quite as it's being portrayed and that actually having a couple of extra engines isn't as bad as as we're perceiving. Yes, I've long wanted to see the evidence that actually spending the time and the people power to develop more reliable engines that you can use for a longer period of time, that that is actually cheaper or better for the planet than simply printing off, if you like, another couple of extra engines. It's like if you have a comic, you spend the most amount of time thinking of the story, designing it all on the computer, having it finished. And once you once you know what the comic's going to be, you can just print a few more off. I think it is about optics and having these engines last as long as possible, but really... What's the difference between three engines, four engines, five engines? Make it five engines. Put an end to this farce. It's still pretty impressive to have only five engines during the course of the whole season. And I I think that would do the job. All right, kids. Let's move on to the podium. The Monza Grand Prix, the Italian Grand Prix, surrounded with the passion of the Tafosi. Not my favourite race in the world, but I see its place on the F1 calendar. A festival of speed surrounded and bathed in by one of the strongest, oldest and most passionate fan bases in Formula One history. And it has it certainly its place on the calendar, not, not just on those historical, those nostalgic things. But I do think it does provide a race that is legitimate. It's not a tight and twisty affair. There was cars overtaking. It was competitive. There was chances for there to be tactics. I think one of the only reasons that it maybe didn't kick off is that it doesn't have big tyre wear. So we couldn't have the two, three-stop strategy choices that have made a lot of the races this year 
interesting. So I am I'm not a massive fan of Monza, but I will defend it and I enjoyed watching today's race. So this is the point of Missed Apex where we ask you, can you do stuff for us? Can you like and subscribe the video if you're watching on YouTube? If you're a, a listener or a viewer, especially in America, could you go on to the, your iTunes if you're an Apple person and just leave us a five-star review? You can say anything. You can objectify Christian Pedersen. We don't mind. We don't mind at all. You can, uh, you, can, you can comment on how much effort Brad's put into his hair today, if you like. But five stars. You can slate Matt and the, the difference between the colour of his beard and his hair uh, shines on camera. Or you can comment like a lot of people do, Matt, that they thought you were just a big fat guy. Everyone says that. I thought you were you a big fat guy. You left out the bald. You left out the bald. <laughs> Is that bald. what people think? You're a big fat bald guy. So, bald bear. So yeah. do feel free to comment on our physical appearance, but go and give us a five-star review on iTunes. That would really, really help us out. Christian. Last time I was on, someone complained about my lack of grooming. (laughs) I've been thinking a lot about that, I have to say. I do imagine you as somebody who doesn't wear socks and shoes a lot of the time, uh, often plays hacky sack to pass the time. That's just how I see it. That's just how I see you, Christian. the world. Still no social media from you, Christian. Very disappointing. Have we not seen? I still have my Twitter, but I don't really use it. But I follow you guys. I oh, see okay. what you're doing, Spencer. You, see, you see my Twitter. I'm very yeah. calm. I'm measured. I, yeah, I, I, I think first. I tweet later. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So you, what are you on Twitter? Let's go and follow you. Let's encourage you on there. What are you? I think it's... Uh, I'm going to put it in the notes. Okay. We'll put it in the, in the show yeah. notes. Um, but this is the part of the show where we give out awards. So I'm going to get you to go first for this one. It's the thing of the weekend, Christian. Who gets that award for you? We've been talking about all the things that I really like. So I'm going to point out a thing that is uh, specific for Ferrari. The the yellow logo on their rear wing. I really that's love the good, that. That's the good thing award. Yeah, I'm, I just oh forgot my. to point it out during the show. So I'm just going to put it in here. God, I love that. If you're wrong about that, what else are you wrong about? That, Brad, you're a man of style. That was disgusting. <laughs> but, hey, I, need, I need to back this up because I was, there was a petition to leave it on the car. Oh. And last time I checked, there was 13 baggers. So we're, it's, a, it's a movement already. <laughs> Brad, you like your racing liveries. That was, that was gross. Um, no, I disagree with you, Spanish. Oh, so my God. I, first of all, I like this year's Ferrari livery with its black wings anyway, because it's quite classic. I don't like the actual the color of red they've gone for, because when I went to the British Grand Prix, I noticed that that red Ferrari, unless you're in bright sunshine, looks brown. So oh. apart from the kind of matte, dull red, the car and the the red sections and the black wings are cool to me. And the yellow writing on the rear wing was really classic. It looked like, you know, a classic Ferrari from like, was it early 90s or late 80s? The writing's okay. I didn't like the yellow on the on the air, back of the airbox. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so, on the shark fin. Okay. Get rid of that. Keep it on the rear wing. I'm happy. Okay, so we're, we're, agree we're sort with of agreeing. On everything. There, yeah. Sorry. What about yeah. the cover suits? Come on. The, all the... the, the Pit crew can yeah. keep it yellow because that's the classic pit crew color when they used to be, uh, used to have, was it Agip Fuel? I don't even know how you say the name, but the little kind of fire-breathing <laughs> lion. But the drivers need to be in red. Yeah. All right. Good. Thank you very much, Christian. I don't agree, but I, I can respect it. Go and follow Christian on Twitter. Brad Philpot, you have been doing a fantastic video series called Through the Visor. It's been really popular. Um, it's got some good traction. It's got a lot of views. It's very, it's very good. Congratulations on that. Um, are you going to show fade or pod fade on that? Because I'm a bit jealous of you doing well with that. I could do with you giving up so I could feel better about myself. 
So the thing with that through the visor series is it's really supposed to be talking about drive the driving side of Formula One. So when when something particularly uh, in a racing situation or a, something really related to what the drivers are going through or what they've done on track, when something like that that's interesting happens, that's what I like to talk about. It's been a little bit tricky in the last couple of races to have those key things. We haven't had that much controversy, really. No. We had the um, Hamilton Alonso Spa lap one incident, but... Really, aside from that, the past couple of races, everyone's behaved far too well. So if the if the drivers could, you know, crash into each other a bit more so I can lay blame in certain uh, certain people's feet, that would be <laughs> that brilliant. That would be better, wouldn't it? But, but I'm trying not to have um, YouTube fade on that. I, I will be making another one of those tomorrow. I don't know what we're going to talk about yet. Um, so if anyone wants to send me in some questions on Twitter, at Bradley Philpot, then that would be awesome. Um, and then we can dig into some of the things. Well, I think one thing we'll talk about is turn one, oh, the, okay, the um, Russell and Leclerc incident incident. So if you want to see Brad's YouTube rip-off version of my Whose Fault Is This, go and click the show notes below. Uh, Brad, who won your thing of the weekend this weekend? Um, well, thanks for choosing me before Matt. He mm-hmm. might not have gone for this anyway, but Nick DeVries having his, uh. his, brilliant, his brilliant showing. Um, he's faced a lot of criticism for not immediately winning each of the series that he's been in each year, but I think he showed today that he is absolutely good enough to be a Formula One driver and that even with very, very little experience, he did a very solid job and was fighting with people mm. in the pack. Do it. Even his pit his pit stops impressed me. The way that he definitely hasn't had a lot of live pit stop practice and he nailed it every time. So Fantastic. Uh, Nick DeVries easily wins my thing of the weekend. Awesome. Matt, two rumpets. It was good to see you at the weekend. But, you it know, was. you know, me with the, you know, my socialising, I'm, I'm quite happy that you're all the way over the other side now and, you know, in my virtual know. shed, so just I'm a lot, I'm more comfortable. That's all. You, you prefer it when I'm as far away as possible. That's fair. You're, 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 you're not the only one. You're 15 inches from my face on this screen. That's how I prefer my human <laughs> interactions. Um, but it was nice to see you and your wife, and I was able to show her on my race suit that I've got a flash on my race suit, a badge that says A Weaver Books, because your wife writes romantic novels. She does indeed. Mm. And you can always go purchase them if you were looking for that perfect spousal credit gift for some Formula One watching. Exactly. Yeah. Your spouse is not into Formula One the same way you are, which happens. It does happen. It does happen. But you're not coming to me for any of this. You want a thing of the weekend, don't you? I do. But you can click a link and that will take you to Mrs. Trumpet's books. Thing of the week, please, Matt. I'm going to go for not just... Carlos Sainz, since Brad stole my DeVries one. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to go with Carlos Sainz watching TV while he races, watching the big screen, (laughs) and realizing that the soft tire was the tire to be on. Because, geez, that that is just a thing. Is that how it happened? That's how it happened. That's that's what the speculation was. (laughs) He was seeing the lap times on the screens and, and realizing that the people on the soft tires were doing pretty good. And he's like... I want that tire. Mm, that's interesting. If you can do that, if you can have like a HUD as well, if you could have the lap times coming up in a heads up display on your visor. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, that brings us to uh, Spanners. Hey, Spanners. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, so you're active on social media. Yes, I am. You can follow me at Spanners Ready. Some people say I- I'm the best one. You can also follow the show at Missed Apex. And I'd love if you'd consider being a patron of my podcast by going to patreon.com forward slash missed apex all right spanners stop waffling just tell us what your thing of the weekend was all right 
No, I will do. I'm going to give it for weight of results. I'm going to give it to George Russell. And I think George Russell understands, he understood his brief. It was to come in. It was to have a learning year. And he's very, very clearly doing his job, building good relationships, being respected within the team and just getting the job done. Whether the ultimate pace is there this season, I don't know. But the workmanlike way he's gone about it, the consistency that he's gone about it with bodes well for you know the the future the future security of the Mercedes driver program you you feel very strongly that if Hamilton was to quit at the end of the season they're still in pretty good hands so I'm going to give my thing of the weekend to George Russell now here's the bad one where we get to be all judgy it's the bad thing award here it comes oh no you missed the apex all right let's be a bit more negative I I feel bad because there's not a negative soul on this panel. But if I had to pick someone, Brad, who missed the apex for you? Um, the the Monza organisation team, unfortunately. I saw a <laughs> lot of stories on Twitter oh, yeah. of fans having really awful experiences, massive queues to get into the circuit, um, having to buy tokens in order to then get food and water and then not having enough tokens or having an hour-long wait to get to the front of the queue to buy your tokens. Basically, really bad. And that's aside from the stories of you know, kind of poor security, some abuse, uh, and some people that have mobility problems being left at the side of the paths and, and not, uh, not really mm. able to get to their seats because of bad accessibility. So yeah. having seen how well Silverstone ran firsthand uh, and what uh, a really well-run modern Grand Prix should look like from a fan's point of view when you've just got a general admission ticket, there's not really any excuse. Monza's been around long enough. It's, done, it's had more races than any other track on the calendar. And so it um, really should be better than that. I'm going to piggyback onto that, Brad. I'm going to share in your missed apex for the Monza track, but for a different reason. That reason being that they specifically, on the website, ban you from bringing chainsaws into the ground. So... I found this out from people complaining about not being able to bring power banks in. So I looked on there, oh, yeah, you can't bring power banks in, but you can buy, you know, like a phone charger power bank. But you can buy their ones. But also right next to it, it specifically says no chainsaws. I'm pretty sure it's in a royal park and there are very important trees and you're not supposed to just go around like you would maybe at okay. the Nürburgring 24 hours and cut down parts of the woodland to build your, your fan viewing structure. Um, so then maybe they're trying to avoid that. Go on, Matt. I actually think that's probably to keep uh, security from accidentally throwing chainsaws onto the track after the event. Is this a reference to the Dutch security guy who threw a flare onto the track? I don't know. You you, you be the judge of that. <laughs> oh, okay. Christian. <laughs> I just want to point out that uh, they used an old system they used to do at raves and sort of like that 20 years ago where you, where you buy their coin to oh. be able to buy stuff there. So there was two queues. First the queue for the uh, access, then the queue for the points or their money. And so forth. There was just horrible. Monza bucks. You've got to go, and then yeah. you've got Monza bucks left over in your pocket that you've got to wait exactly, till next yeah. year to buy them. But yeah, apparently the chainsaw thing, I, loads of people responded to a Twitter post I did about it. People would like go into the park on a non-race time, leave bits of scaffold there and uh, you know bring their chainsaws and build grandstands out of the scaffold they'd hidden and chopping down trees and stuff. So yeah, it is specifically banned to take chainsaws into Monza. But but not the Singapore Grand Prix. So feel free, knock yourself out, turn up at the Singapore Grand Prix with chainsaws. Tell them Spanners said it was okay. Christian, who missed the apex for you? 
I was going to say Haas for forgetting to put the thing called speed into their update, but that's a bit too boring. So I'm going to say faking, uh, uh, actually censoring the, the booze, I think, is uh, is a wrong way for, for Liberty to go. I think that's definitely just plainly wrong to hide the truth always. I, I Okay, I've got a couple of things on that. Firstly, I think they might have hidden booze and, and muted booze aimed at Hamilton as well when Hamilton was just getting booze yeah, it's been everywhere done last season. And so for kind of helping an individual out who's being unfairly targeted, I, maybe that's justified. But also, what did Verstappen do wrong? This yeah, week exactly. he, didn't do, he didn't do anything. Why the crowd booing but, but, Verstappen? What I mean about it is I'm not saying that Verstappen deserved the booze. Definitely not. What I'm saying is we need to know what is going on to be able to have a debate about it because people should not be booing Verstappen. He does a, what, a magnificent job. I mean, he's the best. Yeah, especially like this season. He hasn't done anything controversial. He's not been outspoken. No, and he's he didn't, driving he didn't, the wheels of that Red Bull. He didn't do anything bad today. So why the booing, if anything? If you want to boo it anyone, you know, boo it at the organisation or, or the race director's decision. So, yeah, it was weird. Um, but I, I, I can understand a little bit why you might want to shield some of that negativity from your event. For example, you know, our YouTube comments are trash. So I make sure I sit and read them all, but and I only put out the ones that aren't, you know, specifically abusive. Matt, who missed the apex for you? Well, I, I was originally going to go with Alex Albin's appendix. Oh yes, because I would have liked to have seen what Alex would have done with this car, but then that would have robbed us of the whole DeVries story. So I, I realize that's not fair. The person who missed the apex, and I feel bad because he's really a nice guy, is Latifi. He's back to twenty first and in a in a. In a 10-team championship, he had an utter rookie to compete with. And it's not just that DeVries was there or thereabouts with him. He finished well off him in the race. And, you and know, quality as well. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I, I feel empathy for him, but if I'm just simply judging him by where he finished, it's it's hard to say any anything else missed it worse than that. You're, you're Yoscopito now. And obviously, yeah. you're going to be delighted to get Alex Albon back. Get well soon, Alex. I hope he's not. Hope he's not listening from his hospital bed with Brad saying, "Oh, it's just showing that he wasn't doing that good a job." And he's sitting there with a fresh appendix scar, going, "Curse you, Philpot, and all your descendants." But yeah, you or Yoscapito, you've got to now return the silk scarf that is that is Nick DeFries, and you're you're still left, you know, with your with your cardigan. You know, it's a lovely cardigan. It does the job, but it's not that lovely silk scarf, is it? All right, no, thank not. you very much for tuning in to Mr. Apex Podcast. Go and follow the panel by clicking on all, all the links in the show notes. Go and follow Christian Pedersen, Superstar DJ. One day, we'll just have to get you on here. We never did a meet the panel with you in the winter, so we might have to do... I'm all yours. We might have to do one uh, this winter because we did that meet the panel series and we can hear about your Superstar DJ times with your glow sticks and your whistles. Go and follow Brad <laughs> Philpot and go and check out his series Through the Visor and go and follow him on Twitter. Very chill on Twitter. Very neutral. Too neutral, if anything. And follow Matt Trumpets at MattPT55 on Twitter and go and click the link and check out some of Amanda Weaver's books. You can also follow me at Spanners Ready. And I hope that we will be speaking to Uncle Joe to Joe Sayward on Tuesday. I'm hoping to do some kind of phone-in show as well over this break. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 